Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. All right. Let's be great today. What do you say? Welcome into the Waven the Wheat podcast. Great day to have a great day. Great time to be a Jayhawk. We're going to get into the KU Texas Tech game. Some thoughts from the couch. And then we'll get into some maybe big picture 30,000 foot view on where Kansas is at now. Two games into conference play. We'll also finish up with a mailbag. Haven't done one of those in a while. If you haven't already, please, wherever you're listening, subscribe rate, review. This thing's free, you know? So that's basically the closest I'm ever going to get to making any money off this podcast. And if you're listening every week, why not just subscribe so you know exactly when a new podcast drops? All right. So the Texas Tech game started ugly, then looked really good for basically 30 minutes. And then the last five got a little ugly again until KU made some plays. So all in all, I think that was a really, really impressive road win against a tournament team, against a team I think is probably a top 25, 30 team in the country and could be even better by the time you get to the end of the season. Dewan Harris stole the show. Uh, best career game for Dewan. I think you could make an argument. Now, at least from a shooting perspective, it certainly was. He goes 5 of 5 from three-point range, finishes with 18 points. Dewan is... So hard to describe like his worth to a team because statistically, it's going to be tough to ever make the argument as to why this is one of the best point guards in the country or why he's Kansas's most, if not one of the most important players on the team. Duana is apparently a good shooter now. He is shooting 52% from three this year. Now, he's not shooting a ton in terms of volume, but he's shooting about as much as he did a year ago, which is about one and a half attempts per game. But he's so much more efficient than he was last year. He's up from 33% from three to 52% this year. And he showed on Tuesday that when he goes five for five, that if you just leave him open all night, which defenses will do, they have done, that he has the ability to kill you. He's not going to do it every single time. I think if the volume were increased, he would be back down to around a maybe a middling or average three-point shooter. But in low volume, you don't need him to be a great shooter. You just need him to hit the ones that other teams are daring him to shoot, which is what defenses have done against Kansas basically ever since he took the court three years ago. It's so 
so massive for this team's ceiling, for them to reach their their highest potential. That's exactly what he has to do. Bill Self said earlier this season that he's the second best three-point shooter on the team. Again, in terms of efficiency, it's hard to argue. In terms of volume, you know, Jalen's taking so many threes. Kevin McCuller takes a ton of threes. Obviously, we know Grady's the best shooter on the team. So it's tough to really quantify, but that's not the point. You don't have to really quantify it statistically. It's just that there will be more nights like we saw on Tuesday where opposing defenses are saying, all right, that guy, yeah, we're cool with him shooting. We're going to face guard Grady all night. We're going to do some things to limit Jalen's looks. But Dewan is always going to have opportunity to shoot unless he has you know, a handful more nights like he had on Tuesday, then all of a sudden maybe you switch up the game plan. I love watching Bobby Pettiford on the court with Dewan Harris. He looks like a really solid second ball handler. I think what he provides that maybe Joe doesn't, and Joe has things he provides that Bobby doesn't, is that he is more of a true point guard than Joe. I love seeing he and Dewan on the court together because that will never be KU's main look but it's just a a nice lineup to have in your arsenal whenever you want to give McCuller or Dick some rest. Like, we think of things as, okay, who's the second wing, right? Who's the first wing off the bench? Who's the first big off the bench? When in reality, KU has multiple looks they can give you, right? Their starting lineup, that's going to be their bread and butter, and KU doesn't rely on the bench as much as a lot of teams in the country do. In fact, they're almost dead last. KU is 347th in the country in bench minutes out of 363 teams. So there are not going to be many teams this year that are going to rely less on the bench. But when you go to the bench, it's nice to be able to give teams different looks, which is what happens when you you know bench one of those starters or give them a rest and then bring in a guy like Bobby and, and sort of get back to Bill Self's roots, so to speak, with that second point guard. Cam Martin got some run there. Uh, I know KJ Adams got injured, but this is about the time of the year when Bill Self is literally willing to try any different possible lineup combination to figure out the two or three that he's going to be able to tolerate come March because that's basically how it works. He's not looking for lineups that he likes. There are rarely going to be lineups that he likes. It's just lineups that you can tolerate. And I think that's where KU's at specifically with the big guys off the bench. KJ is clearly that guy. He is light years ahead of all the other bigs in terms of trust and what he's going to be able to do for this team this year. But you're going to need to rely on somebody else because there are going to be games like Tuesday where KJ gets into foul trouble. Right now, it seems like Zuby has the edge. Early in the season, we thought Ernest was going to be that guy. Now he's basically not playing at all. Cam Martin comes back from injury. He's getting some run. I don't know how much runway there is there with Cam Martin and like what his potential is. I think ultimately you still want Ernest to be that guy. And it's still early in the season. I know it's easy to look at the calendar turning, conference play arrives, and say that, okay, well, if you're not playing by now, you're probably not playing by March. I don't think that's the case whatsoever. I don't think Kansas is trying to force Ernest in there, and they're not going to push it if he's not ready. But I still think there is plenty of time for he or anybody else who you think deserves more playing time, you want to see get more playing time, to earn it between now and and the end of the season. MJ Rice is a perfect example of that. He'll play 19 minutes against Texas Southern. He'll play two minutes the next night. He'll play 10, 11 minutes versus Harvard. He'll won't play for a game, and then he comes back and plays two. 
I don't really know what he is to this team right now. I don't know what his role is on this team. And quite frankly, I'm not sure if there is a role for him to fill this year. The skill set is obvious, but in terms of him being able to fit in and identify what he can be to the guys around him, it seems like there's still a, a long ways to go. All right, so now let's do the big picture look at where Kansas is at now two games into Big 12 play. Since the Tennessee loss, their last loss, they have ripped off seven straight wins, which is, according to Ken Palm, the 10th longest winning streak in the country. I think since that Tennessee game, Kansas has been a top three team, maybe top four team. We don't need to get bogged down in exactly where they rank. I think Tennessee's been really good. Houston has been a force all year long. And then there's the teams like UCLA and Connecticut that I think Kansas is right there with. They have become one of the nation's best teams, due in large part, this is going to sound weird, to their offense. They've just been really, really solid on that end since what was, oddly enough, a game against Tennessee that they lost and they looked completely overmatched in that loss to the Vols. So let's go back to that game. That was on uh, Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. I want to look at that game really quick. KU lost 64-50. to The game was not even that close. That final score is not indicative of how that game played out. In that game, Kansas shot 32% from the field. That is the eighth worst shooting night at Kansas in the past 10 seasons. So think about that. That's about, what, 36, 37 games per year, 10 seasons. So you're talking about the eighth worst shooting performance in what is probably about 370 games. Eighth worst out of 370. That's how bad it was. Your eyes were not deceiving you when you thought that this team had their worst game that you'd seen in quite some time. That was about as bad as you can play and certainly about as bad as you can shoot the ball. Since then, though, they have somehow become one of the nation's best offenses. The reason is simple yet nuanced. The simple answer is that they've got a ton of really smart players who are getting better and developing some chemistry playing with one another. Think about the high IQ guys that you have on this team. Dewan Harris is about as smart a player as there is in the country. Same goes for Kevin McCuller. K.J. Adams, I don't think, gets enough credit for that. Like, There's a reason why he's playing ahead of the other guys. Yes, the motor. Yes, the athletic ability. But he just seems to understand his role out there. He moves the ball really well. He's never standing still. He doesn't do a lot of things that make you say, what the hell are you thinking there? Like, maybe there are some shots you don't want him to take, but with the way that he's shooting the ball lately, you can't really argue with that either. Jalen's obviously the dude. He has developed into a leader on this team, and that's been invaluable. I think Grady Dick is really advanced. For a freshman. So that five core group of guys, right? You're not going to the bench very often, but those five guys that are playing the lion's share of the minutes most nights, I think is a really, really intelligent five lineup. And that's something that not every team has. There are teams that are more skilled. Kansas is about as smart of a team as I think you have in the country. What's interesting, though, is none of them have played together last year. And Dewan and Jalen did, but Jalen is a completely different player than he was a season ago. So to think that there haven't been any changes in the way that they have to play off one another, I think wouldn't necessarily be accurate. You look at Grady and Kevin McCuller, they weren't there. K.J. Adams was sitting on the bench. So it's natural to understand that it's taken them time 
And it's taken this staff time, but they're figuring it out. They're figuring out how to play to their strengths. They're figuring out how to play to one another. First things first, though, when you talk about strengths, this team's strength is still the strength. Like, the offense has improved by by a, a, a massive amount over the course of the last month, but defensively is still where they're going to earn their money. The guards are phenomenal, Dewan and McCuller, at creating turnovers and stealing extra possessions. And what have you done with those extra possessions, right? That's where the offense comes in. They're turning them into points. Since that loss to Tennessee, Kansas ranks ninth in three-point percentage and 16th in two-point percentage. So they're getting extra possessions, and then they're making their shots on the other end. There you go. Boom. Basketball is so simple. Get extra possessions, score on those extra possessions. That's how you win basketball games. You've got two guys on the court in Jalen and Grady who require constant defensive attention. I think Jalen's just a workhorse who finds ways to produce. Like, you look at his shooting numbers, they're not all that impressive, but he carries such a massive workload. The fact that he's able to constantly let his impact be felt and the fact that he has improved a little bit from it with his three-point shooting is the reason why he's a legit National Player of the Year candidate. I think there are moments where maybe you want more from Grady, but he's so damn good. Like This kid is so advanced for a freshman. Just his understanding of the game on offense is really impressive. I know there are times, go back to that TCU game, or not TCU, Oklahoma State game on Saturday, where defensively he gets picked on a little bit, and you can see the coaches going through it on the sideline. There was a moment where Kevin McCuller kind of had to get in his face late in the game saying, dude, like, what are you doing? They're picking on you. And that's going to come with time. But he's so good on the other end of the court that you can't imagine taking him off even for short stretches. That play on Tuesday in Lubbock where he misses the three on the wing, he gets his own rebound, pump fakes, step through, knocks down this little eight-foot floater. That is next-level stuff, and that's the reason offensively why he is so advanced for a kid his age. He's been so efficient with his scoring. He's averaging 15 a game, shooting 47% from three on six attempts per game. That'll play all day for anyone, let alone a guy in his first year in college. Those guys, Jalen and Grady, attract so much attention, but they're so good that they're going to get theirs no matter what. Now, Jalen's a little bit better about that than Grady is, but Grady will have those stretches of three, four, five minutes where all of a sudden he goes from two points to ten points. Nobody on the team does it quite like he does in that regard. And it's... This team will always need that. Like, they can get some from Kevin on a given night. KJ can jump up and get some. Dewan can have his moments where he scores 18. But their offense is predicated around those two guys. This team needs them to do that. I don't want to diminish their importance because it's really tough to win when you're not getting production from them. But they make it so that other guys will benefit from the lack of defensive attention that they're getting. And look at what those guys have done with those opportunities. Harris and Yesifu, who he's been really good lately as well, he didn't play on Tuesday, are combining to shoot about four threes a game and they're hitting over 50% of them. Boom. There's your efficiency from three. K.J. Adams, right, a guy who we thought was going to be the last option offensively all season long, and really he is still, is shooting 71% from the field. And it's not like this dope game where it's all lobs and dunks. That's his bread and butter. But we saw on Tuesday, he's very quick to pull the trigger on those little six-foot jumpers, on those little eight-foot jumpers, and that's huge because he's going to get more of those opportunities. What we said about DeWan earlier, 
like teams are going to dare him to shoot threes. Teams are going to dare KJ to take those little awkward mid-range jumpers. And if he's comfortable, which he certainly does, like he looked confident pulling the trigger on those down in Lubbock, that's huge for this team's momentum offensively. KJ's averaging 12-7 and since that loss to Tennessee. This is supposed to be the other guy the teams want to shoot, and he is killing teams on offense right now with his efficiency. Listen, there are still plenty of questions with this team. I worry about their lack of size. I worry about the rim protection long-term. I don't know how reliable the shooting is going to be across the course of the season. I think this is the type of team that probably could be prone to some cold spells from deep. I'm just saying they're not perfect. And they're not a juggernaut, right? This is not a team that's going to steamroll with like two or three losses all season. They still, I believe, have a relatively low floor. Like when they don't play well, they can look pretty average. But when they're doing the things that they want to do, which is the goal for any team in America who thinks they have a legit shot at a national championship, they're a really good basketball team who I don't think we've seen peak yet this season. All right, mailbag. We're going to start doing these more regularly now that the calendars turn and we are in the thick of it in college basketball season. So I'll start sending these prompts out probably weekly on Twitter at Nick underscore Schwert, KU basketball, KU football, uh, whatever you want, and I'll do my best to get to them. All right, first question from Benjamin. How much of KJ's contribution is directly related to defense's face guarding Grady on every possession? Seems like he has so much more room on pick and roll because he's because there's never anyone coming to help off Grady. Even when he's not shooting, Grady helps the offense a ton. Yeah, I mean, you listen, they talk about it on basically every broadcast that Grady's on, which is that the gravity on the court all seems to center around him because we know the importance of three-point shooting. He is about as good of a three-point shooter there is in the country. Think about that for a second, that teams... Every single game are scheming to make sure Grady doesn't get loose on the perimeter. And there are plenty of games where it feels like Grady's a little invisible offensively because they're face guarding him. He's not getting touches. And I don't think he has evolved his game at least yet to the point where even if you're trying to take him out of it, he can find ways. Like with Devontae. His senior year, Devontae and Svee, they talked about this a lot, that when teams would come up and face guard them, Bill Self just told them, like, just take two steps back. And that Malik Newman had said that during the summer, Self had told all of them, like, you guys need to get X amount of shots from 30 feet per day. Like, he had them practicing those shots that are four or five feet beyond the three-point arc because he knew the teams were going to try and take that away. Grady's not quite there yet. He's a freshman. And honestly, by the time he does get there, he's probably going to be playing in the NBA. But there are, there are there's, there's more you want to see from him. And I don't know if we're going to be able to see it this year. But even despite that, right? I kind of got lost on a tangent there. Even despite that, he's shooting 47% from three and taking six attempts per game. So it's not like teams are completely taking him out. But to your point, he attracts so much attention that there are going to be opportunities elsewhere. That is, if he requires extra attention, right? It's one thing if somebody's face guarding him and just shutting him down that way. That's not what you want. That's the worst thing that that you can have happen. Because at that point, it's just one man on one man. 
Of course, that's not the way that it plays out. Yes, I think Grady is impacting KJ's opportunities in a positive way. But more than that, it's everyone. It is Grady moving off the ball. It is trying to get Jalen loose for driving lanes and three-point opportunities. It is Dewan on pick and roll. In basically any scenario that you want to conjure up, KJ is always going to be the option that opposing defenses choose. Doesn't matter what the other alternative is. If it's Grady shooting a three, yeah, we'd rather live with KJ. If it's Jalen driving, we'd rather live with KJ. If it's Dewan driving, rather live with KJ. Same goes for Kevin McCuller. You're always going to choose KJ because at this point, there's still not enough to suggest that he's a guy who's going to be able to beat you consistently. But yet you look at the numbers, and he is one of the nation's most efficient shooters. He's shooting 67% on the year. But as I mentioned earlier, going back to that Tennessee game, which is really, I think, a turning point for KU this year, he's shooting 71% from the field. And it's not all dunks. It is a lot of rim running. It's a lot of stuff near the near the rim. And actually, even though his free throw numbers are still pretty bad, he's shooting 48% on the year. Since that Tennessee game, don't look now, but K.J. Adams is shooting 79% from the free throw line. Doing exactly what you need him to do in his role. It's never going to be a a position that you're running offense through, but he has been so good keeping defenses honest, and if he keeps playing the way he has been, I think all of a sudden things do start to shift back in the other direction where teams maybe give him a little more attention, and maybe that opens things up for Grady and Dewan and Jalen and everybody playing on the perimeter. Here's another KJ-related question. Over the past month, this is from Alex, uh, over the past month, KJ's been great. There are several other good teams around the country with good, larger big men. Has KJ shown enough that you are comfortable with him against Lampkin at TCU? What about a potential March Madness matchup against Arizona, UConn, or Tennessee again? Yeah, so... There are going to be teams, and you mentioned like three good ones, that are going to have advantages down low versus Kansas. What I think Bill Self has been so good and his staff have been so good at over the years is, you know, we always look internally, what are our problems? What are our shortcomings? Uh, How is this going to hurt Kansas against the other best teams in the country? Like Arizona is a perfect example because for my money, uh, Tubelis and Balo. That's the best front court in the nation. I mean, Tabellis is a legit first-team All-American candidate, 6'11", 245, efficient scorer, great rebounder. And then you've got Balo, 7'2", 260 down low. I mean, whatever I just said about Tabellis, like, he's the same guy. He gets fouled a ton, gets to the free-throw line a ton, great rebounder, great scorer inside. What does KU do against teams like that? You got two guys over 6'11, and your biggest guy is going to be six foot seven. Good luck with that. But there are advantages. What Kansas has been so good at, I'm kind of all over the place. What Kansas has been so good at over the years with Bill Self, and one of the reasons why he's a Hall of Famer, is that he's always going to find the advantage that he has over you in those matchups and exploit you. So with KJ. Yes, you have a huge size mismatch down low. And there may be times where you have to pivot and go to Ernest Uday or or Zuby may have to come in 
and play more minutes in a matchup like that. But don't think that he is going to let you dictate the terms of the game from the onset. He's going to go into that game saying, okay, well, how can we exploit this same matchup against you? I think the first place I would start is, yeah, we're going to make Tabellis chase Jalen Wilson all over the floor. Good luck with that. Arizona is the best offense in the country. Ken Palm currently has them ranked uh, 55th in adjusted defensive efficiency. They don't really pressure ball handlers. They don't get a lot of turnovers. Teams take a lot of threes against them. Like there, there are ways to exploit them. Teams with size typically don't move around that well. Teams with size typically don't defend the perimeter that well. Right now, KU's shooting the ball about as well as any team in the country. They move the ball about as well as any team in the country. You got two big guys? Okay, make them move around a lot. Make them run all over the court. Get them in situations where they're out of their comfort zone. Bill Self and the staff have done a really good job at that. So, yeah, there's always going to be those concerns. You're not a juggernaut in that you're going to match up favorably against every team in the country. Very rarely do you see those teams. This Kansas team certainly isn't one of them. But any advantage you want to say other teams have over them can be countered with advantages that Kansas has over other teams. All right, this question is from Kyle. What does Kansas Athletics name after Bill Self when he's finally done? The building and court are already spoken for, and those are usually the go-to for programs to name after a coach. Great question, Kyle. Uh, You know, he's going to get a statue. We know that much. That'll probably be like two years after he leaves. It's tough. It's tough at Kansas because this is not a program that Bill Self built. Now, you can argue he is meant as much to this program as basically anyone. You bring two national titles, handful of Final Fours, all the conference championships, all the All-Americans, the national player. Yeah, I mean, I don't need to go through Bill Self's resume, but it's tough when the building is named after one of the most influential names in the history of the sport, and the court is named after the guy who invented the freaking sport. So there's not an easy answer here. I don't think you're going to rename anything. Like, you're not taking anything away from James Naismith or Fog Allen. Uh, Do you need to name something after him? Like, the easy answer is that if you ever build some sort of add-on, Or wing, you'll name it after him. You can name the facilities after him, that kind of stuff. But those aren't the types of things that, you know, you are painted onto the court or that announcers say every time they come back from a television, a commercial break. So I don't think there is an easy answer. I mean, you could maybe argue that you could rename the court after him because James Naismith already has a statue out front. And he has, you know, the street that it's played on. But you're not taking the guy who invented the sport, who was your school's first coach, and taking him off just because he didn't win many games back in 1912. Uh, I don't know if you need to name something after Bill Self. Give him a statue out front. And the fact that you don't name anything after him is a testament to the strength of the program. Not many teams have guys like James Naismith and Fog Allen in their record books, and the fact that Bill Self, even despite the massive amounts of success that he's had in 2022, maybe you don't get something named after you, but I do think if that ends up being the case, uh, that's okay.
All right, let's finish with some football questions. First from Andrew. Should KU fans be concerned that recruiting hasn't picked up even with the Lance Leipold extension and the exciting season? Yeah, so right now, uh, looking at the 2023 class, let's take a quick peek here over on 24-7 Sports. Kansas has 12 guys who have signed letters of intent. They've got six guys currently committed from the transfer portal, and there are some big names, right? There, um, There's Logan Brown, who was a five-star recruit out of high school, the tackle from Wisconsin. You've got Gage Keys, the, the D lineman from Minnesota. So there are some there are some names in there, some somewhat exciting names, but still ranking just 67th nationally in the class of 2023. The transfer class, though, ranks 32nd. And I think that's the one that you need to look at. This isn't 2016 anymore where there was this inherent fear of loading up on transfers. It's a new world now with the transfer portal and the freedom of movement in college football to the point that I think that Lance Leipold and his staff are going to put an emphasis on that. And the reason why you don't worry about it anymore is because you can get transfers that are younger You can still have them for three-plus years and develop them over time. And you're not going to be hamstringed in the scholarship department like you were five, six years ago. And with what this program has already done from a player development standpoint, you just sort of trust them to go out, A, and get the lesser-known guys and turn them into starting caliber players a la what Kansas State has done over the past 30 years consistently now, regardless of who's been the coach. And aside from that, you expect them to infuse that talent, the lesser recruited talent, with you know very tactful signings in the transfer portal. I've said this for years now. You can't look at Kansas football recruiting the way you look at Kansas basketball recruiting. Kansas basketball is going to be a who's who. You're going to go out and get the class that you want almost every single year. In football, you're not going to get that. And maybe more accurately, it's never going to be the best encapsulation of where Kansas is at as a program. Don't judge the success of the program based off of how many four-star kids they recruit. Judge the, the program on player development. Because in Kansas, at Kansas, that is always going to be how you get ahead. You're never going to be able to attract top talent. It's just not going to happen. You may get a guy here and a guy there. But to think that if they just keep things rolling over the next five years, that all of a sudden Kansas is going to be able to be a power on the recruiting trail, it's just not going to happen. And having self-awareness and knowing how you get ahead as a program is one of the best qualities you can have as a coaching staff. That's why I thought that you know guys like Charlie Weiss and even I mean Turner Gill, Charlie Weiss, David Beatty, Les Miles, all of those guys shared one common trait, which is that they thought they were going to win through recruiting. And you do to an extent, but you don't do it by chasing stars. You do it by recruiting the right kinds of guys for your program, the ki- the types of guys that fit your culture and the types of guys that you believe you can develop into plus players over the course of three to five years. And that's something I trust Lance Leipold on more than those other guys for one simple reason. 
He has a proven track record of doing that in his coaching career. All right, last question. What should be realistic expectations for KU football next season? My friends and I argue that KU basketball needs another... Okay, these are two separate questions. So I'm just going to answer the first one. Uh, What should be realistic expectations for KU football next season? Well, you won six games this year, and you bring back most of your key contributors. So let's just start right there. Uh, Six games is now the benchmark, which seems crazy because... This past year, the Vegas over-under was, what, one and a half? This was supposed to be a two-win team in 2022, but you won six. So herein lies the the tricky part for a football program that hasn't had much success. The bar has been raised for next season. So if you go back to being a four-win team, a five-win team, it will feel like a disappointment, especially when you bring back Jalen Daniels, you bring back basically the entire offensive line, you bring back most of your key contributors defensively, all of your weapons offensively with the exception of Kai Thomas, right? You're going to get Daniel Highshaw back, who should be healthy, and you get excited about that for next season. There's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. And because of that, like the energy around the program is going to be at a really high level all offseason long, which means Kansas is going to have expectations for the first time in a really long time. If you won six games again, I don't feel like it would be a disappointment. I would bet you that's going to be about around where the Vegas over-under is. But I think internally, you're going to have expectations for improvement. You don't want to just do what you did last year. You want to build on it. You won six games last year. Win eight next year. When you started 5-0, and how many wins did you think this team was going to win? Did you think they were going to peter out? Now it's tough to predict that Jalen's going to get injured and then Jason's going to have to come in and then Jalen comes back at the end of the season. But did you expect that this team was just going to win one more game the rest of the year? I didn't. At that point, I thought this was an eight-win team. And circumstances changed. But if you're telling me that Jalen is back and healthy next year with all his weapons in another year in this offense, in another year of player development and knowing that there are guys that I'm not even mentioning right now who are going to step up and become bigger contributors on next year's team than they were last year. Knowing all that, I don't think asking eight wins, seven, eight wins from this team is unrealistic whatsoever. All right, that's going to do it for Waving the Weed again. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. I will talk to you next week. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. 
spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.